0: hey glad you're with us it's bills by the numbers where we let the stats tell you where the bills are at brought to you by FanDuel. make every moment more coming up which position group could undergo the most change from last season we break things down steve has asked about player measurables in the numbers game we've got nfl network's brian baldinger joining us a little bit later on let's roll it out where you are. It's Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Pastner, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you, and our jumping off point this week deals with a position group that could undergo the most change from last season. In 2022, that position group was the defensive line, where there were five new players among a contingent of nine. This year, believe it or not, it's the receiver position. There are just Three players from last year's active roster currently on the squad in Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, and Khalil Shakir. Everyone else vying for a spot would be a new member on Buffalo's 53-man roster from last season. In the time that we've witnessed the receiving core in OTA practices, Steve, what would you say is most different about the makeup of the current of Bills
1: receivers. I said this to you after the first practice. I I came in and I was like, (laughs) dude, those guys are big. They're all big. They got a whole bunch of tall guys that fit some sort of prototype. Now, Deontay Hardy doesn't fit into that. He's the exception. He's the exception. But you had, you know, in years past, you had like Cole Beasley, John Brown. You had uh, uh, Isaiah McKenzie. You know, none of those guys are six foot. All of the guys they had. Crowder. Jamison Crowder. They had guys who were not close to six foot. Now they got everybody's over six foot, yeah. significantly over. They look big outside, and it's not just one guy or two guys standing out. All of them. All of them look big. Now, Steph Diggs isn't there. He's 5'11. So he hasn't been at OTAs. But so that means the, <laughs> there's even more guys out there that look big. There's nobody to offset it at all except for Deontay Hardy. That's the one thing that really jumps out at me.
0: Yeah, even if you go far down the list to undrafted rookies like Brian Thompson and players like that, Braden Johnson, all of them are about six foot and up, uh, and some are like 6'2", 6'3", and we heard reports recently that they're even working out more receivers that are like 6'4". Terrell Shavers
1: is a big dude, all of them. Uh, And
0: then you roll in... Um, the tight end group, which we're not going to do here for this episode, but just to speak to the size change that we're discussing, you know, Dalton Kincaid, six, three and a half Dawson Knox, six, five. I mean, the, the size goes across the board of the receiving targets. Even Latavius Murray is six, three, the running back. Right. So right. size has definitely been a point of emphasis. So I think you're dead on the money with that. The only other players besides Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs with somewhat proven track records, Steve, are Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy. How much of a concern is that for you, knowing when you get into the depth of this receiving core,
1: you know, beyond that group of four, The proven track record just isn't there at the NFL level yet. I think it's going to be a waiting game to see how many reps those guys get. Certainly, they've got a ton of guys vying for spots, and we know this from the coaching staff. That's a lot of reps to get under your belt with Josh Allen if you're indeed going to be one of those guys. And even these young guys that we've been mentioning, guys that most Bills fans are not familiar with, are going to get reps in there, and they're going to start earning a spot on this roster. Three guys, and they, minimum... It used to be, back in the old days, in the dark ages when I played, there were at least five guys active. Now it's common, not unheard of, to have seven guys active. That means you've got four new faces who are going to take reps, probably on game day, in the game, with Josh Allen, who up until three months ago had never met him. Uh That's a concern. It doesn't mean it's not going to be great. They certainly feel like the guys they've got have got talent. They're certainly going to coach them up. The reps are going to mean something. The conversations are going to mean something. Getting to be friends with each other is going to mean something. It's going to help that chemistry. But I think in this early stage, that's the one thing that is job one, getting them acclimated where the quarterbacks, when the guy's in there, he knows, oh, yeah, I'm, I know this guy. I know what he's going to do. I know how he's going to run his route. Right now, that is all new, and it's all new for a lot of guys.
0: Yeah, and I would say – you know Khalil Shakir while he may not be quote unquote proven at the NFL level i think the encouraging signs that we saw from him late last season when he did get more snaps would certainly seem to be putting him on a fast track to have a role in this offense provided that maturation and development continues into year 2 but then after that you're you're talking like Undrafted rookies and stuff, and I realize you're probably only talking about one spot on the active roster after that five anyway. Um, But Justin Shorter, Tyrell Shavers, as you mentioned, Jalen Wayne, Brian Thompson, Braden Johnson, there's probably only one job to be had there, maybe two in an extreme circumstance outside of the top guys that we mentioned
1: and we don't have any idea of knowing because we it has it's so early in the process at this point uh, you know OTAs and we' you know we see like you know an hour of practice some of these guys may be more physically gifted than other and some of them may be more physically gifted than Khalil Shakir uh, they may be bigger faster stronger the question is do they have the skill set uh, just because they came out of college a year later doesn't mean they aren't more gifted and more attractive than Khalil Shakir. Khalil Shakir had trouble getting on the field last year. They brought in uh, they, they brought in you know, former guys, you know, John Brown. They brought in Cole Beasley, mostly as an insurance policy because I think it was obvious at the end of the year that Khalil Shakir was the next guy in. But, man, oh, man, I don't know that after one year, Khalil Shakir has said "Listen, and this is my spot and you can't take it to the coaching staff. Now, he may feel that way and it may be his – when all is said and done. I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if there are two guys returning in this receiving core. Um, I, have, I have some faith in Khalil Shakir. I was surprised he didn't get more playing time last year. But because he didn't, I have to wonder why that is. Because yeah. the guy he wasn't getting them in front of are gone. Isaiah McKenzie's gone. Cole Beasley's gone. John Brown's gone. And there was times last year when they were playing ahead of Khalil Shakir. How do you
0: believe the changes in receiver personnel for Buffalo this season will change how the passing game looks, if at all?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know conceptually that it'll change it all that much. Uh, I I think, you know, let's face it. I know they had a... a a bad end of the season is a disappointing in. But this off there's nothing broken about this offense. Right. There's nothing they need to fix in this offense. Certainly they'd like to evolve and improve, and there'll be certain skill sets that evolve and they say we got to use more of this. Let's give this guy more reps, this more routes like this. Let's send this guy deep more often. Let's send this guy across the middle more often. We don't know what that's gonna look like because of the new guys. There may be more of something we've already seen, but I don't think conceptually it'll change it all that much because the guy who really makes the difference is the guy taking snaps. That's true. I
0: think at the same time, just knowing offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, after being around him for a few years, is he is going to cater his play calling to the strengths of his players, which seems logical. Just about every coordinator that's worth his salt would do that. But he has to understand and come to learn the strengths of all of this new personnel. He's got a good idea of what Khalil Shakir can do for him in the scope of this offense, as with Diggs and Davis. But for Trent Shurfield, we had him in studio a couple of months back, and he was talking about how he's going to get some work in the slot. Is that the only place where he's going to line up? Is he going to line up outside? He got some work in the slot in Miami. He got some work outside in Miami. Where does he get the most work, Deontay Hardy, is he splitting that slot role with Trent Shurfield? Where does Shakir factor in? And so I think when you you try to contemplate all of these different roles and fitting them in, it will take some time. And, (laughs) oh, by the way, the top draft choice is probably going to get some run in a slot role flexed out somewhere as well. So there are a lot of puzzle pieces here that have to fit together, and they're all different. I mean, there is no... There are no two receivers that bring the same skill set to the table, even if they look kind of the same. And so because of that, and then the size quotient that you were mentioning earlier, how does that change what the play call is? Are there going to be more fade balls in the corner of the end zone because you've got five, six, four guys you can put out there? I mean, maybe. We've
1: talked off and on about this a lot. The five eligible receivers out there, the two wideouts, two tight ends, and a running back. Or three wide outs, one tight end ring, whatever mix you have. I think the league, ultimately, a guy like Ken Dorsey would like to have all those guys, the same size, same skill set, same everything, who can win and then make sure that they're all good enough to win some matchup. So wherever the defender lines up that you want to pick on, that's the guy. So Dalton Kincaid, Dalton Kincaid for instance, can play H F Y. X, Z. You can play all five spots. You can line them up at fullback, halfback, tight end, X slot, all of it, and the same with the other H-back, four guys. With uh, with all the other four guys, so you can move them around. The problem is this: NFL offenses have to be so complex and so you know vast. You can't have a guy be as on it for the X as he is as the Y or the H. It's hard to learn all those spots and, and snap in and out of that, and particularly in the few months that you have to get ready for the season. Yeah. So you have to have a guy who does some stuff, does it well, and the, the wider expanse of his knowledge he can get and be able to contribute from a different spot and do the right thing and be in the right spot, I mean, that's huge. And I think that's ultimately where Ken Dorsey would like these guys to get. Hence, you got a lot of guys that are built the same – so they can move those guys around. All right, so let's take that a step further
0: now as it pertains to Kincaid. To what degree do you believe his presence on this roster will impact the decision-making at the receiver position coming out of training camp? I know we're projecting a little bit here, but he's on the roster. I think it's safe to say he's going to have a sizable role even as a rookie in the passing game How does his role in this offense maybe impact some of the decisions that you're making
1: when you're deciding who's who who is in that receiver room on the active roster and that comes down to this because if if Dalton Kincaid says I gotta get on the field and and Dawson Knox is on the field, you got two tight ends. Yeah. If you're gonna play two tight ends a significant amount of snaps, that means you have to have guys to back them up. Because if you get into a game, one of them goes down, you can't throw 35% Thirty-five percent or fifty percent of your offense out the window because you don't have another tight end. Yeah. So you got to have guys that back them up and can play at a certain level, which means you can't have guys in another position because you just run out of numbers. That's where I think it will affect at least game day roster management. If you've got a game, and and I think it will go game by game. They'll they say, listen, this game we, we're going to go two tight ends. Sixty percent of the time, whereas last week it was ten percent of the time, and we were in eleven personnel. You know, ninety percent of the time. Yeah, this week it's going to be it's going to be twelve personnel all the game. So then you've got to make those changes. When you get to the fifty-three, though, I, the trend has never been to go heavier. It's always been to go lighter. Five, six, seven wide receivers. Four, three. Or four or three running backs or four or three tight ends. Yeah, that's that's it. And I think it's about the game that they're actually in that week.
0: I think the skill position decisions are going to be very difficult. The expanded practice squad, I think, has alleviated some of the hand wringing for coaching staffs and front offices in making these decisions for the fifty three man roster, especially knowing you can protect up to four players on your practice squad to keep them from getting poached by other teams for their respective active rosters. But this is going to be a tough road to hoe in a good way. But I think there's always this hand-wringing from personnel people because you spend all this time trying to draft the right people, trying to sign the right priority, undrafted rookie free agents, Trying to add the right veteran free agents to your roster, and then you come down to a point in time where you're like, "Oh, jeez, I can't put well, yeah. that guy on the practice squad. He's not going to last the there." Guy,
1: yeah, the guy. The thing is, they do their job so well. They got too many really good players. They don't have enough room for them. Yeah. Um, this kid, you, nobody's ever heard of, comes in, and you can take your name from the list from one of these yeah. young rookie receivers. He's, that kid is everything we thought he was going to be. It's awesome. And it's like, oh, well, got we no can't, room for him. we we can't keep him because you know. There's just no room for him, and so you stick him on the practice squad, and then you. That's tell what happened with you, Isaiah Hodgins? And then you tell everybody, "Oh, he's raw; he has no chance to play," and you're hoping they would believe you. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Isaiah Hodgins is a great example. Yeah, three years on the practice squad, and they still and they tried to
0: get him up on the active roster a couple of times, gave him a couple of cracks at it, and then before you know it, he's. You know, he's poached by the New York Giants, who are intimately familiar with his game right. with Joe Shane
1: and Brian Dable coming from yeah, Buffalo. He ends up catching touchdowns for the New York Giants at late in the season because yeah. they, they just didn't have room for him in Buffalo. To expand
0: this discussion now on the Bills receiving core, we bring in NFL Network film junkie Brian Baldinger to break down this Bills receiver's room. All right, so first of all, Baldy, we've got a receiving core here in Buffalo that's experienced some turnover, maybe more turnover than they've had in recent years, with only Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, and Khalil Shakir as returning guys in that receiving core specifically. What is the biggest challenge, do you think, for offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey to kind of get a handle on what all of this new talent can and cannot do and incorporate that into his play calling?
2: Well, I mean, Stefan is your number one. I mean, you know, they're going to move him around. They're going to get him in matched up. He's going to be the first look on, you know, many of the routes. That's not going to change. we got to see what Khalil looks like in his second year. He had some moments where he looked like he was a good draft pick, but he was a rookie. Rookies, I always say this, and, and maybe you can back this up, Steve. I always feel like the greatest growth that a player makes in his whole career is between that first and second year. You know, they, they, they understand... Uh, what to do, where to be, um, you know, they understand the league, uh, all the different things that, you know, he never saw at Boise that he now sees in the AFC. So, like, th- those things are there. But, you know, when you look at Trent Sherfield and some of the new guys, I mean, Trent's been to different offenses. He's been to San Francisco. He's been to Miami. He's been in certain offenses. This is another offense, third offense in three years. Um, you know, you have to – I think the biggest thing, honestly, guys, is – You have to learn how to play with Josh just because of his ability to extend plays. He doesn't like what he sees. He's on the move. And now whatever route tree you were asked to run uh, on a progression, it all changes. And who who wants the ball? And how are you going to get it? And so I think that's the big thing. And then they got to figure out the slot receiver position, which is a big part of their offense. And maybe Dalton Kincaid does some of that. But, you know, those are all things that, it's just the rhythm and how you get to that rhythm, how quickly you get to that rhythm, how quickly you trust some of the new guys uh, will probably determine the fate of their passing game.
1: Yeah, and it's you're right about the young guys. We had an old coach, when I was playing, he said he drew a head on the board. And he said, all rookies, and he put a little scratch on their head. He said, They're, they get some brain inflammation. And the brain <laughs> inflammation lasts until they – until the next draft when they see the whole year and calendar. Then the inflammation goes away and they become themselves again. They, they <laughs> just don't know what they're doing for like 12 straight months because they're, they're kind of trying to tread water. Yeah. The Bills are going to have some young guys on their roster. Even if Sherfield and Hardy are the guys that come in, there's still going to be one or two guys on game day that have to fill in. They're going to be young. They're going to have Shakir and whoever it might be, shorter, whoever – They're going to be young. That, on top of not having played with Josh Allen in a real game or not too many games anyway, uh, is going to be compounded by the fact that they're going to have target shares with the wide receivers now go to a tight end group with Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid and James Cook in the backfield, who can do things nobody's been able to do with Josh. There's a lot of question marks about this offense, an offense that really was not broken last year. So they've got some evolving to
2: do. They do, but you know that's really the state of the league now, Steve. I mean, you know, you're you're talking about Marv Levy drawing the face. I mean, you guys lined up with the same team almost every year. You know, I mean, it's all it's different now. And you run and you go to the Super Bowl four times. You know, four years in a row. You basically, you could, you know, in April tell who the starting lineup was almost every single year. So it's changed, but that's all right. Changes is, is not a bad thing. I mean, they did not play well at home against Cincinnati, Steve. That's a, a lingering taste. That they have to deal with it until they get to Rochester this summer, and you know they didn't play well on either side of the ball. They didn't play well in the trenches. Offensively, um, they were terrible against Cincinnati. And you put up ten points at home, and they struggled to get ten. Uh, maybe change is good. You know, maybe they got to find a new way of doing things. I think you know they brought in two big new guards. We'll see if they win the job, Connor McGovern or Cyrus Torrance. We'll see if they win the job. But you know, I, I just, I just saw Jalen Hurts in Philly, and, you know, they lost a big right guard to Pittsburgh in free agency. And, you know, you just ask him like, are you looking at the right guard spot? Quarterbacks look at that. They look at the size. They look at who's playing up front, who's going to be his wall in front of them. I mean, I think they they probably need bigger, stronger people up front right now, Steve. And it might start right there to run the ball better, more effectively. Josh has said that maybe his style of play doesn't give you – you know, 12, 15 years in a sleep. Maybe he has to change and adjust a little bit. So I think there's adjustments for everybody all around on this offense right now. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, even though you say the offense isn't broken and it really isn't, it's just going to incorporate new blood and probably look a little bit different.
0: All right. So with that in mind, Baldy, talk to me about this because Ken Dorsey spoke, you know, recently here in Buffalo to the media and, you know, continues to pound the fact that he's going to look for the best matchups every week, which you know with Diggs is never going to change. To your point, but for the rest of this lot, it may change from week to week in terms of who's getting the targets, who's seeing the volume of action. You know whether it's this week we really like putting Knox and Kincaid out there together. We're going to pound twelve personnel, and those guys are each going to get six targets in this game this week. Next week it might be hey let's put the let's put the NASCAR. You know, unit on the field and put Hardy and Shurfield out there, and let's go a little more 10 personnel this week. And now those guys are going to carry it. Are we getting to that point in offensive play in this league where if you have the bodies, it's going to change from week to week as to who gets the volume?
2: I think you have to. Have to I think you have to think that way that you got to think um, multiple, finding new ways to move the ball, score points. I mean, ultimately, it's about scoring points. So, you know, I think Dalton Kincaid is a point scorer. Uh, I, I loved his game coming out of college. I loved the way he adjusted the ball. I mean, maybe it is a Big 12 personnel team, which which, it's just, which is a complete departure from what Brian Dable brought to Buffalo. And maybe that's a good thing. Uh, you know, we're going to find out. But I think that you got to have multiple ways to win. And they were – Nobody lined up in four wide receiver personnel more than the Buffalo Bills did two years ago. I mean, they had that. They led the league in that formation, ten personnel. Maybe it's it's good that and you know it opened the past the running lanes for Josh. You know when they were trying to double you know there certain guys, um, and that's not that's not a bad way to move the ball. But you know uh, I, I'd like to see a team that has the ability to beat you in multiple ways. And I think this Buffalo Bill team, at least on paper right now. Might present those kind of challenges.
1: When you watch film, and I know you watch a ton of it, how difficult has have defenses found it to match up with twelve personnel? When you got two tight ends that are both that can, one of them's a really good blocker, the other one's an okay blocker, a willing blocker, but not as good. But they both are able to get separation, got some good good speed, and can work out in the passing game. How has have defenses struggled to match up with that personnel grouping across the league, or is that Something you maybe just, you're pouring test tubes together trying to find something that you can work with.
2: Well, I mean, look, you know, the good thing about 12, Steve, if you have a true flex tight end, say the way Travis Kelsey is, and he presents all the matchup issues that he does, but you also have, you know, your true Y that can block the strong side. So that when you line up, You've got a strong side run game. I'm just using Kansas City, the World Champs, just using them as an example. But you have a strong side run game where you can really block the edge, okay, and you give yourself a good chance to gain yards. But yet at the same time, you could be basically in three wide receiver personnel with your flex tight end. And so now are you playing two two linebackers? Are you playing three linebackers? Are you playing one with a dime, you know, safety? Like it does – force you to sort of show your hand a little bit more when you have that flexibility. I don't, I'm not trying to get too technical here or or anything like that, but it does force the defense to kind of show their hand and what they're going to be. And if you're going to be in a dime look with a, you know, a box safety down there with, you know, Matt Milano, let's just say it's Buffalo's defense and you're going to put a box safety down there to try to handle the passing combinations. Well, you might be a little light in the box to stop the run, and maybe that forces the team to run the ball right at you. So it does present different issues in a 12 personnel. Seattle's great at it. Um, the Eagles can be very good at it with uh, Dallas Goddard as their as their flex tight end, but he's also a really good blocker. So I do think you know over the course of 17 games, um, it's it's you know you got the Jets. You know Monday night start the season. The Jets, you know, if you want to try and throw the ball against Sauce Gardner or DJ Reed down the field, they're going to take a lot of that away from you. You, you better might find a different way to kind of run the ball or move the ball.
0: Yeah, which leads me to my last question for you, Baldy. And I know you're, with all the film that you watch and stuff like that, you try to read the tea leaves as to what could be coming in the upcoming season. And I think what's flown under the radar here, at least as far as Buffalo's roster is concerned, is the upgrade they've made the upgrades they've made for their running game. I mean, you already had Cook, who you can do everything from run him off tackle to line them up outside the numbers. And then you have veteran guys that can get tough yards in Damian Harris and Latavius Murray now in the fold here. And then you you talk about the investment in the guard position this offseason. Osiris Torrance, Connor McGovern from Dallas, even David Edwards from the Rams uh, coming in. There is some girth up front that we haven't seen at the guard position in a while. You couple that with two guys that know how to get tough yards in the backfield. Are we sensing a shift here, maybe in the play calling balance? I'm not saying they're going to be a run team, but they may not be 62, you know, 38, uh, you know, pass to run. It might be a little closer to 60, 40, or maybe even 58, 42.
2: Well, not just that, but I think you're going to see, less of Josh on fourth downs, third downs, less where it was just basically, okay, we're just going to power, just going to beat you, you know, with this 240-pound quarterback. And I just think when you have Latavius, you have Damian, um, you got big, strong guys, you know, that can move the pile. Maybe that's less Josh in those situations. And he's been excellent at it. But he also has taken a lot of hits. And so maybe they want to minimize the number of hits, and take him out of those situations where you go, it's fourth and two. We know quarterback power is coming. I mean, that's what we all watched over the last four years. So maybe there's just going to be a little bit less of that because you've got horses that are good at that. And and if you put – I like big guards. Mitch isn't the biggest center, but I like big guards. Big guards make your tackles better. It does present um, a bigger wall in front of you, generally better protection up front, just – bigger, wider bodies, and so I kind of like that style of play, and so I do think we're going to see a little bit of a shift.
1: Baldy, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, It's always great to catch up with you. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, guys. You bet. All All the best.
0: All right, good conversation with Brian Baldinger. Let's move ahead to the numbers game where Steve will be quizzed on Bill's free agent and draft receiver history. All right. He's stretching out. He's getting loose and limber. We'll see if that makes a difference. We begin, Steve, with question one. Who is the tallest wide receiver ever drafted by the Buffalo Bills?
1: Jeremy Kelly. It is not Jeremy (sighs) Kelly. He was not a draft choice. Uh No. receiver, though, not tight end. The
0: receiver, I will tell you, this guy did not have a lengthy career with the Bills, (laughs) but he was a high draft choice. Was he? Chris Burkett. It is not Chris Burkett. I'll give you one more crack at it. You want to know what his height was? Would that help you? Sure. Six foot six.
1: Dude, I don't know who that is.
0: (laughs) I'll give you the year he was drafted. Oh,
1: that that won't help. Go ahead.
0: 2008 Second round
1: pick. Oh, I can't. Hey, it was. Oh, Hayes Hogan. Nope, Hosen, no, Hayes. <laughs> I can't remember his
0: name. His name was James Hardy, oh, out of right. Indiana. Um, he was a big dude. Yeah, six foot six. Two thousand draft. Not a successful draft. Two thousand draft. Two thousand eight draft. 2008 sorry. Draft. Ten receptions for ninety-six yards and two touchdowns in his Bills career. It was a short-lived. Career, but the tallest receiver ever drafted in Bills' history. Question number two Who is the tallest receiving target in Bills' history with at least 300 career receptions for Buffalo? So a tall player, and notice, Steve, I said receiving target. I did not say uh, Pete Metzlars. Boom diggity. Six foot seven Pete Metzlars. I had that was to, my, that was my roommate for four Super Yeah, I
1: had to throw one in your wheelhouse. When he there. retired, he had more games at tight end than anybody in the history of the game, so I knew he had at least three targets. Go. So there you go. Question number three. We'll
0: see if this is the rubber question here, see if you can get two out of three. Who is the shortest free agent player ever signed by the Bills?
1: a good one. Um,
0: It is an offensive player, I will tell you. Beasley? It is not Cole Beasley. There is someone shorter. That's a good guess, though.
1: Is McKenzie shorter than Beasley? McKenzie
0: is shorter than Beasley, but it is not the shortest
1: player. Am I in the right era? You are in the right era. Free agent. Yes. Oh, Christian Wade.
0: It is not Christian <sighs> Wade. It is the Bills' current Smurf receiver, oh, Deontay, Deontay Hardy? Hardy, at
1: five foot well, six. I'll say this: we've been out of practice, he stands out in a, because he doesn't stand out. The guy is little. You're asking if he's standing. Yes, <laughs> he is. He's little, but I will say. Uh, you know, everybody brings something to the table. You can see it. Yeah, that guy's got it's something. It's evident. That guy's got something. I, And and certainly he's struggled to stay healthy in his career. But, man, oh, man, when he is healthy, get the guy the ball. Yeah, he's a pocket rocket. Oh, my sure. gosh, that guy is a – yeah, it's like trying to swat a mat. How about that? Deontay
0: Hardy, that's shortest free agent signing. 5'6". Five, five, six. Six. Yeah. Isaiah McKenzie is 5'8". I, I kind of t- think that's a little generous, but yeah. Maybe. So going on strictly the book listings on height and weight, Hardy at five six. Mm. All right, not bad, Steve. All not right. bad in the numbers game. A reminder: we are brought to you by FanDuel, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Download the app today. Make every moment more. The app is easy and simple to use, with generous promotions offered every day. Safe and secure with best in class customer service, and your winnings paid out in as little as two hours. We now tackle our one burning question. Steve, the question is this, who do you believe is the passing game's second most popular target behind Stefan Diggs in 2023? I think we all can agree that Diggs is still the alpha male in this receiving core.
1: Who? do you believe is the passing game's second most popular target? I think it will continue to be Gabe Davis. Okay, he was number two last year. I don't think you can go from number two to going off the map, and I I think he, we have talked about it a lot, I think he's got a lot more to give. His catch ratio, number of catches per target, his catch rate, it will be better this year because I'll tell you this, it can't be worse. If it's worse, he won't be on the field. so I think Gabe Davis will continue to contribute. I think he'll have a little bit of a bounce back year in that regard and that'll that'll keep him at no, at least number 2 for targets.
0: Yeah, I I think this is a difficult question only because after digs I kind of see the wealth getting spread out a little bit more this year yeah. as as opposed to past seasons. And I think it's because we to our point earlier, I could see the roles in a given game plan in a given week, shifting and changing, if you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. this week, oh, we love our matchup with with Knox and Kincaid. Let's just pound the tight ends with you know a boatload of targets this week. Yeah. That's what's gonna get us the victory. That's and then right. there might be another week where we're like, let's spread these boys out. Let's put Hardy out here, Shurfield over there, Davis over there with Diggs, and let's go. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So I think I think the the target share is going to be more evenly spread across the receiving targets. I think at the end of the day, though, it is probably still Davis. Um, It's a redemption year for Gabe in a big way. And more importantly, unless he signs an extension in August, it's a contract
1: year. That's right. And I I, I think you're exactly right. What you get into this, once you get into the season and you start playing offense, you do some things you really know you can do well you start to get information from the way teams are defending you. Yes. And when they start making decisions about your personnel, then you can counteract them and, and get the matchups you want. But you don't know what other people see in you until you actually have to play against their mindset. Yeah. And, and that sometimes takes a month to six weeks into the season. That takes – and then, then, even so, if you, you, know, it's, you play these teams – you p- only play three teams twice in the regular season – the rest of them, it's only it's a one shot thing. Yeah. You know, you go out there and you think, I think they're gonna see us this way. Let's go. Uh and if they do, I say, Listen, these two guys on their defense can't hold up against our matchup. Let's go. That kind of that kind of a, a mindset. But you kind of walk into everything a little bit blind because you don't know what other people see in your team. Yeah. Our closing
0: figure Deals with Buffalo's average height at the receiver position mentioned by one Steve Tasker earlier in the show in 2022 Buffalo's average height at the receiver position was five, nine and three quarters. That was the average height this year's projected average height at receiver is six foot even with just one receiver under six foot. The aforementioned Deontay Hardy pulling down the average that is about a three-inch difference, which doesn't sound like much, but on an average, that's a pretty sizable change, no pun intended. That'll do it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when the next episode drops. And as always, when you need to know about the bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next time, everybody!